Okay, today, Romans chapter 8, and uh, verse number 17, part of verse 17, and into verse number 18. Now, I'm going to back up and give you the uh, paragraph that we're dealing with here, for we are studying the fact that we are secure in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're secure, and the whole chapter is on the security of the believer. But verse 14 through verse number 18 is a paragraph that talks about our relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 17, the last part, spoke about the fact that we may be glorified with him. And then verse 18, what can compare with that? What can compare with that? I'd like to talk today especially about this glory. It says the glory that is to be revealed to us. I cannot possibly describe it as it needs to be described. Number one, I've never seen it. I haven't been there. You haven't seen it either, I'm sure. You haven't been there. To see what is this glory that the Lord talks about. How do you even describe glory? How do you you go about explaining what that is? We've read about it most of our lives, haven't we? We talk about the glory of this, the glory of that, the glory of God. We talk about the glory that is to come. And yet, how do we define that exactly? I have to, to at least put this part in it. When it comes to getting glory in our world today, it certainly makes us feel good, but it also kind of prompts a little thing else in us, too. We call it pride. There are some who will strive for glory because of pride. Try to imagine whatever you can about the glory of God and eliminate any pride in the picture and see if you could even put it together. See, our view of glory is based on all that we know down here. Scripture talks about a glory that is huge in comparison. And so, for me to say, I'm going to reveal glory to you today, is, is practically impossible, except that God has said much about it in His Word. And we're going to work from that. And it's kind of like the, the approach that some people say when you're given an elephant to eat. Do you know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. And that's the best we're going to have this morning from our passage, is one bite at a time. And honestly, the notes I have in front of me today, as I reviewed them and prepared again for this morning, I said, you know what? It looks like I'm going to break them in half, because I doubt that we're going to cover all of this this morning. So we might have to have more glory next week. 
So, here we go. Verse 17 and verse 18, it says, We may also be glorified with him. And it talks about the fact that I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Heavenly Father, we're into a topic here that's bigger than us. And as we try to comprehend, we know that your Spirit will give us exactly what we need today to feast upon. He always feeds us, nourishes us, and strengthens us for the day ahead, prepares us for your plans. And as we come before you today with this text before us, we pray that that is accomplished once again in our hearts and in our lives, that we may know what we need to know right now in order to serve you better. So help us with our text today. Challenge us with us, Lord. I'm glad you give us things that are too big for us. It helps us to realize again how absolutely dependent we are upon you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Challenge us with it, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we enter into this passage, I brought up the fact that this has to do with a relationship that we are secured in. And this passage, though many times when we work from these verses from 14 through 18, we kind of pick one verse out for this or we pick one verse out for that. Many times if we quote them, we we quote one here or we quote one there and we, we kind of piece them all separately. But when you put it back into a context, and you work from verse 14, especially through verse 18, rather, you see what they each lead to in thought. As Paul writes one thing, he says, well, that's because it goes here. And then he says, and that's because it goes here. And he keeps linking things together. And there's a value in understanding the link that puts it all together. Uh, Spurgeon called this the chain that makes that's the chain made of diamond links is what he calls it and what we have in front of us here is the fact that there is glory referenced and especially there at the end of verse number 17 the glory with him now anytime you start saying with him you realize you're part of this aren't you are you ready for this how is this possible how is this possible? Well, in the links we've been looking at, it's the things that come from being a child of God. That may sound very elementary, but that's reality. These are the things that come from being a child of God. And the Holy Spirit, in verse number 16, is testifying that you are a child of God. I'm not going to rehash that whole sermon. You can go on the website and pull it up. But has he not convicted you? Has he not corrected you? Has he not walked with you every single day? Has he not been shaping you to the image of Christ? That's his testimony that you are the child of God. It's based on verse 15. You have been adopted as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, if that's true, and it is, then verse number 17 is logical too. And if you're a child of God, you're an heir of God. There's a term that's too big for us. You're an heir of God. I remember a long time ago when I first became a pastor, there was a couple ladies in the church that um, wanted me to look better. So they bought suits for me. 
you know, that was their attempt because, you know, I just didn't have what they wanted. So uh, they bought them for me. And I remember that before they were fitted to what I had, of course, I was supposed to wear them. The sleeves were too long, and the legs were too long. And, and I felt kind of funny up there with these garments that were just too big for me because they hadn't been modified or anything of that nature. And then I thought, you know, that's so much like the grace of our God. If we put on God's grace, doesn't it feel kind of big to you? And we're called to grow into it. When we talk about being heir of God, I can't even imagine what's all in that. But it's still true. And it may look like an oversized garment on us. But nevertheless, we are heirs of God. It says so. That's because we're His children. And if we're heirs of God, the next link goes with it. We're joint heirs with Christ. And I think that phrase, though sometimes we, we want to, in the outline of things, somewhat set it down as a, a, a minor point and a big point, I think it is the big point. Because what are you without Christ? Everything is because of Christ. Yes, God planned it. Christ fulfilled it. And because of Christ and being with Him, and that's the key to it, we share. And when He tells us we share, we share completely. We share everything completely. Joint heirs with Christ is key to this paragraph and everything I want to share with you in this section. It's because of Him that we have what we have. It's because of Him that we have been blessed like we've been blessed. Ephesians 1 says that we have been blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now tell me what you're missing. It says every spiritual blessing. It's in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Very important to understand that our blessings are because of Him. It's in Him. It's with Him. Righteousness. Do you like righteousness? Do you know you wear it? It's been given to you? We have wonderful verses of that. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Without Him, you can't do it. With Him, you have it. You have the righteousness of God. It goes on to say in Philippians 3, verse number 9, Paul says, I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Again, faith in Christ. That brings you righteousness. So, we have that blessing. Because of Him. Holiness. Do you know you also wear that because of Christ? I'm glad for that. Because I know we can't do it, can we? But it says in Hebrews 12, verse 10, this is powerful. For they discipline us for a short time, it seems best for them. That's a father verse, right? Fathers discipline their children, and he says... For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, speaks of God, disciplines us for our good. Then he tells you why. 
so that we may share his holiness. Share it. Isn't that an incredible thing? To share the holiness of God? Wow, that's a big one. Now, all these things to this point, you're saying, good, Pastor, just keep them coming this way. They feel wonderful. Talking about righteousness and holiness and how about suffering? And all of your red space just right. Suffering? Yes, we share. We share. We talked about that two weeks ago. We share in the sufferings of Christ, and that's important. That's important to this text. Because we are joint heirs with Christ, we suffer with Him. And you have suffered with Him. Theologically, positionally, you have suffered with Him. There's no other way to be a Christian. But the fact that when He died, He died, you died with Him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he rose again, you rose again with him. That's a theological statement. Romans chapter 6, if you want to find it. You are united with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Those things are suffering. And there's more to it than that. We see it here in this passage. We suffer with him. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Why? Because Peter likes us to hurt? Because he loves the color of a bruise? No. He says, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Suffering does, is not separated from glory. In that passage or in this passage we're studying in Romans. See, being a child of God, you share in the sufferings of Christ. Some people look at verse 17 especially and say, well, if we suffer, then we will glory. I told you last time, I don't think that's the accurate translation of that concept. Uh, because suffering is not a prerequisite for glory. You ready to listen to something? I think it's important. Suffering is the characteristic of a believer. Suffering is because we wear the name of Christ. You live in a world that does not like the name of Christ. Do you know that? It does not like the name of Christ. You live in a world that uh, does applaud good works. They also applaud evil works. But here's what they would applaud. This world would applaud if you stop a bank robbery. This world would applaud if you rush into a fire and rescue a child. But if you claim to be a Christian and do good for it, they hate the name of Christ. And that's different to them. By just simply wearing his name, Christ said, you will suffer for that sake. He will suffer for the sake of wearing his name. Matthew chapter 5 talks about it. Verse 10, 11, and 12. You can see it right there. You're blessed if you suffer for his name's sake. You see, he was crucified by this world, was he not? He was crucified by it. He suffered and he died at the hands of sinful men. So to be united with him in his death and his burial, the simple, simple union with Christ, you wear his name, 
and you share in both his sufferings and his glory. This world will not like you for it. It will not like you for that. You see, you do not earn his glory, do you? No. You do not earn his glory any more than you earned anything else from his hand. So let's not get the idea that suffering is going to earn us glory. That is not the case. We don't get glorified because we suffered. Now, Christ was not glorified because he suffered. Listen, go to Philippians 2. I want to show you. Philippians chapter number 2. You know the passage. Very familiar. Verse number 6 through verse number 9. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, here it comes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. He exalted him because he humbled himself. You see it in the passage? Over and over and over again, right? He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient. And where did that lead him? To death, to suffering. But the key was he humbled himself. And here's what God has to say about that. He is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He has never changed his view on the proud, and he never will. He is always opposed to the proud, and he always will be. Christ humbled himself, and the promise that goes with that was this. First Peter said it, First Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. You see, it was God's plan regarding Jesus Christ that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Now, that death cannot be repeated. You can't go there. All right? You cannot do that. What he did for us, you cannot do. You cannot die as he died. But you are called to be humble... As he was humble. Isn't that what Philippians 2 is saying? Had the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What was that? Go out and try to suffer? No. Suffering comes from one who has submitted himself to the Lord Jesus Christ and the world hates it. Suffering is a product that comes from humility living out Christ in this world. That's what Christ set before us. A humble man. And God may have different plans regarding you and the path that you take. But if you're looking for glory, suffering is not that which earns it. Okay? They will not earn it. Jesus Christ was not glorified simply because he suffered. But this is what he wanted. The glory that he had once had before. Okay, I just said something, and now I want you to put it together. If suffering 
would glorify Christ. If that's what brought about Christ's glory, then how could he had to have had it before he came to this earth? Did he not have it before he came? Did he suffer to earn it there? No. No. John chapter 17. Let's back up there for a minute. John chapter 17. These are important. I'm going to bring it all around to a main point, okay? But John chapter 17, verse 20, and move all the way through verse number 26 with me. The fact is, prior to ever suffering, he already had glory. He says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Did you just hear that? The glory that you gave to me, Father, I gave it to them. Who? Well, he just told you in verse 20 who it was. Who is that? That's us, folks. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. He's been praying for us. Even John 17 brings it up. Those who believe in me through their word. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Okay. He's talking about you. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Now, previously, in the same chapter, verse 5, if you look back just for a second, he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is the glory he's talking about. He says, I have it. You gave it to me. I gave it to them. They believe on my word. We share in that glory. And that's what his prayer was all about. And he says in verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that we, they, sorry, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is a powerful prayer. You share with him, even down to the glory. You share with him. That's what he longs for you to be a part of, too. Where he is, there you will be. I want to underscore that again, and often, with him. You're with him now, you're with him in your salvation, you're with him day by day, he's coming for you that you may be with him. With him. Do you realize that's what comes as being a child of God? You're a joint Heir with Christ. When we talk about suffering, we get sad. But you're with him with it in that whole picture. When we talk about glory, guess what? 
It's not yours. It's His. And you share it with Him. With Him. The promise in John 14 was this. I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may also be. That's with Him. Ephesians 2, verse 6. It says, we're seated up with Him. And seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's key to our relationship here. With Him. With Him. With Him. The promise goes with it. Here's another one for you. You know it. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because thou art with me. Have you ever stopped to look at the little words? With me. With me. It's often repeated in Scripture. Here, let me take you on another one. I love this section. Go back to Psalm 139. Some of you say, oh, I know what that passage is all about. Yes, you do. Let's look at it. I want to show you some powerful words here. Psalm 139. I'm just going to start plowing through. 18 verses. You ready? Psalm 139 starts in verse number 1. It says something about the choir director of Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave. Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. and Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, well, surely the darkness will overwhelm me. The light around me will be night. Even the Darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you form my inward parts, and you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not even one of them. How precious are your thoughts of me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Ready for this? I love this verse. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Isn't that precious? He's with us. With us. There's a promise in that. All the way through Scripture. That's the promise He has for His children. I'm with you. 
I'm with you. Where are you going to go that she's not with you? Jesus made the promise to his disciples. I will go with you even to the end of the age. He's with you. He's with you in your life. He's with you in your death. He's with you in every single aspect of who you are. He's with you. And then turn that around and realize this. You're with Him. You're with Him in His death. You're with Him in His resurrection. You're with Him seated in glory. Even now. Do you believe that? He said it. You're seated in glory. He's already raised you up and seated you with Him in heavenly places. That's amazing to me. You know what that means? That means there's a seat there that you are in. As far as he's concerned, you're there. How is it possible you're not going to make it? Do you think heaven's going to have empty seats? You're going to look around and say, oh, that guy didn't make it. I don't think so. He's already seated you. In that you're already with him. In heavenly realms, as far as he's concerned. You may suffer with him on this earth, but you're glorified with him in heaven. Glorified with him in heaven. Christ made it so. That beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter number 5 comes to my mind when I think of how much Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. And it says in Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself a church, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Do you think he's going to come up short on that? No. The church is destined to be with him as much as this bride is to be with her bridegroom. It's God's design. Christ will be with us. We will be with him. When he has glory, we share in that glory. Is that powerful or what? It's hard to put your your mind around that. But that's true. In Jude... It was written at the very end of that book, in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, and now and forever. What is all this trying to say to you? What it says, you are with him. And it says that he is with you. That will never be separated. Never. What he has done, he has bought with his blood. It will never be erased. It will never be changed. You are a child of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. When it comes to glory... When he sits in that place where he's glorified, you as the bride of Christ will sit beside him. You will share his glory. Sound big? That's a reality. 
That's why Paul could say what he did here in Romans chapter 8. We'll just kind of give you a preview. Verse 30, Romans chapter 8. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Already done in his book. You've been glorified in Christ Jesus. Paul says, that's the point of my ministry. Paul wrote it this way when he's writing to the Colossians in chapter number 1. He said in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, the filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And what is that? He says, it's a mystery which was hidden from the past ages and generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom, you ready? This is what it's about. God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's his message. We proclaim Him, Paul says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So he appeals to them. In chapter 3 of that same book, Colossians 3 verse 4, appeals to Christian living based on the reality of being glorified with Christ. Therefore, he says in 3 verse 1, if you have been raised up with Christ, you have, right? Therefore, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. Powerful. We don't deserve this, folks. But it's been given to us. The glory that Christ has, has received for obeying His Father. And in obeying His Father, He died for us. That we might be with Him. That He might be with us. That we might be one and that when He comes to receive us to Himself, that we may be with Him. And when He gets glorified, guess who's sitting beside Him? We are. Now, is that something that we step back and say, boy, I did a good job? <laughs> no! It's not about us. It's not what we earn. It's not what we've done. That's why He says, set your eyes on things above. Put on your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. You're died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. If anyone sees anything in you or in me, I hope they see Christ. Because He's the one that gets the glory. We share in it. We share in it. That's what comes from being a child of God. That's point one. All right? The rest is all here. Point two, you've got to wait until next week. 
This is, we got to digest something, right? This is like a big elephant. We just took a bite. Let's chew it for a week. All right? These are passages that just floor me to think of what this is. You know, sometimes we wonder, what's heaven going to be like? What's it going to be like to be up there? Some people have ideas like, well, you know, I'm going to have this great mansion, and I'm going to have a flower garden, and I'm going to spend my whole day out there planting flowers and never have a weed and, you know, those kind of things. They've got all kinds of interesting ideas of what they're expecting in heaven. I know that when we enter into that place, we shall see our Savior. The scripture says we will see him face to face. We will see our Savior. And I can't help but think that our first reaction is going to be this. Plop. There's going to be a lot of plopping in heaven, I think. Right down in front of him to worship, to worship, to worship. This is the one who loves us. This is the one who died for us. He's going to pick us up. He's going to say, this is what I died for. That you would be with me. And then we'll plop again. Then he'll pick us back up. It's going to be a precious day. Remember the song, what a day that will be. With my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Brings tears. Lord, thank you for your love for us. We can't even begin to understand. Lord, we try. Try to wrap ourselves around these verses. They're all over Scripture. They talk about your glory and that you share it with us and how amazing that is that you should love us, that you should choose us. Far too often, Lord, when we look at this relationship that you have made, we put within it our own ingredients. And we make it seem like it's such a fragile thing because of our attitudes, because of our approach to life, because of the way we view relationships down here on this earth. And we, we know too well the issues of pride and division. We know too well the feeling of broken relationships and hearts that hurt. We understand those things. And sometimes, Lord, we just put that all in this framework of, of a relationship with you and we've lost track of how deep and how strong your love is for us and how actually secure we are in it. So much so that you planned us before we were born and you have it planned for our entire eternity. It's already figured by you. You have made it so. This glory we talk about here today, this, this morning, we talk about a glory that's far beyond us, but that too is a gift from you. Someday we'll understand it better. In the meantime, Lord, if you will impress that one thing on our heart today, how much you love us. Set it in concrete, Lord. We have problems with it moving. 
set it in concrete in our hearts and in our minds so it stays firm and strong and, and we never question our relationship with you. Do that work in each of our hearts today. I think we need it, Lord. And we sure do thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.